Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm your host, John Lucier. I'd like to welcome you all to this show and thank you for joining us. And especially, I'd like to thank those that are standing and continue to stand with us for righteousness and justice. You know, it's easy to, to look at the unfolding of events and say, wow, the, the nation and, and life as we know it is being turned upside down or on its head. But I'd just like us to, to pause there for a second because we need to understand what the Lord is doing. And I also understand that just because things are quiet does not mean there is peace. And you could say, well, John, what do you mean? Well, let's understand what the Lord's doing. And I think a perfect, if you will, catalyst to understand what the Lord's doing, how he's working, and how he is bringing about his perfect will in seemingly in the midst of chaos can be understood by looking at Acts chapter 21. Now, we're not going to read it in its entirety because there are 40 verses, so I will let each of you read it for yourself, but we're going to discuss what's happening in this chapter. Now, Paul is being led, first and foremost, by the Holy Spirit to return to Jerusalem, and he knows, and he's met with elders from some of the places where he has visited in the past, and by visit, I mean sent there on missionary journeys. <clears throat> Excuse me. And witnessed and preached and taught them the word. Now, some of these elders have met him as he's returning or journeying back to Jerusalem. In to, oh, hopefully to reach the city before the upcoming Passover feast. And in there, there's also some prophets. That appear in one by the name of Agabus, and this is in chapter 21, verse 10, comes down from Judea, and he takes Paul's belt around his own feet and hands, and he says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And of course, the people, when they heard that, they began to weep, and they also began to, to attempt to counsel Paul the Apostle Paul, and say, don't go. But Paul says, hey, no, what are you doing? I'm ready not even only to be bound, but to even die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the, those that were there, that were with him, I'll, I'll say allowed him to go, but realized that he could not be shaken from the purpose and the calling the work that he had to do for the Lord, the work he was called to do. He intended to fulfill it. But then it says how he gets to Jerusalem, and now he meets with James, the brother of Jesus, and the elders. So elders would be both other apostles that were there or, or former disciples that walked with Jesus, and James is the natural earthly brother of Jesus. And, of course, Paul, as he does every time he seemingly comes to Jerusalem, he gives them a report of the missionary journey and all the ways the Lord is moving and working and also letting them know of some of the trials and struggles 
that he's had along the way. In every place that he's been to, people that decided to cooperate with the enemy rose up, created crowds, and ultimately ultimately a mob, excuse me, that tried to attack Paul, that tried to bring about legal issues for him, get him in trouble, have him thrown in jail, kill him. And literally every, every place and every city he went, they chased him. Some did. As in traveled in pursuit of him to stir up those in that city. Now, he receives this, this counsel from James, Jesus' brother, and the elders. Now, of course, they all rejoiced in all the things the Lord was doing. But he says in verse 20, When they heard it, they began glorifying God and said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing about the things I've been told about you, but the, you yourself walk orderly, keeping the law. So, of course, and, and, and this vow of purification, there's a, a couple ways that it could be perceived. One is that essentially it was not unlike the Levites and the law given to them for purification. Or it could be like the Nazarite vow. So Paul goes through this process and he takes them, he takes their counsel. Because ultimately, when we look at the surface, what were they trying to avoid? Unrest. They were trying to bring about quiet and arrest amongst the people. And Paul went along with what they had intended and purposed, their desire. But let's also see what the result is. And we'll begin in verse 27. It says, When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed, they supposed, that's key, that Paul had brought him into the temple. And all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came to their commander, the Roman cohort, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. 
Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when the crowd, or when he could not find, excuse me, out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him brought to the barracks. When he got to the stairs, he was carried away by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, away with him. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, the commander, that is, Do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying. And what he ended up doing was giving his testimony of how he well, who he was, his background, his, his bona fides, if you will. And then how his testimony of how he came to Christ and how Christ changed his life. And we need to recognize some things, right, in this. Even in spite of all human wisdom and the desire for there to, to just, I'll say, have quiet Again, quiet is not peace. And even though things may appear quiet on the surface, does not mean that things are peaceful. You know, there's a, a saying that, that I've heard quite often here in the past few years. Whether it was due to COVID or whether it was even at the Asbury Revival, said by different groups of people with very different goals and, and thoughts and beliefs and, and mindsets and hearts. And the, the statement was that they just wanted to return to normal. But all parties just wanted to return to normal. But I will tell you this. The believers are waiting for things to quiet down and be peaceful. What the Lord wanted to do, and even in this situation here with Paul, was to stir up or reveal what was hidden underneath. And this is incredibly important. And I'll say it for this reason, right? The advice from the apostles and the elders was intended to quiet the well, everyone down and avoid the eruption of violence from crowds or the mob to, quote unquote, if you will, put a lid on things. But it became the exact thing following the advice of, again, James, Jesus' brother and the elders that caused things to boil over. Because it was actually what the Lord wanted. See, we have this, this misperception that 
being in tumult or tumultuous situations is against the Lord. That if the Lord's involved in things, it's just going to be peaceful. It's going to be quiet. We'll be able to relax and have our our feet kicked up and just enjoy life. But that's not how the Lord works. So if the Lord doesn't work that way, but the Lord actually brought about the tumult, then we too as believers shouldn't be afraid when there is tumult. And the reason why is because, one, the Lord's in control. But the Lord is using it to reveal what's underneath. Or, if you will, how much has become infected. That's how God orchestrated this in the book of Acts to take place. But also as we look at us, our lives, our nation, and the world, there is much shaking that is happening. There is much tumult that is coming up and beginning to boil over. You know, as I was, the Lord was talking to me about this, I was reminded again of, I'll say a vision that I had and a dream my wife had. And in this, both the dream and the vision, we were shown the exact same thing. There was the Lord, and he was standing there, uh, if you will, in a bog or a marsh. And he was just casually walking through with a long stick in hand or staff. <clears throat> and there's there's many more details. I won't go into all those. I just will give you the the basic context of the dream slash vision. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he's just casually walking through. And as he'd come to a bush, he would just have this little smirk and he would reach out with his staff and shake the bush. And whatever was in the bush would jump out. And then I would I could see myself behind the Lord in this, armed with a, a rifle, whether it was duck hunting or whatever the case is, almost like in that, a similar to style situation. And whatever would come out, whether it was a bird or duck or whatever the case, when it came out and when it attempted to fly off or do whatever, I would raise it, the rifle and shoot it. And I'll tell you that it, this is incredibly important. And, and he would just do this over and over. He wasn't phased. He wasn't, the Lord, wasn't phased or moved by what was happening or what might come out of the marsh, what had tried to hide itself or conceal itself within these various places where the Lord would stop, stick out his stick and shake, disturbing the hiding place, causing whatever was in there to come out and ultimately be dealt with. 
that was the opportunity given. And in there, of course, I, part- I participated, I cooperated with the Lord's plan and what he was doing. We were doing this as a team. Again, we, we talked about how God orchestrated things. Now, uh, I'll tell you that in this dream, well, my wife's dream, the vision that I had, what the Lord was doing and how he had orchestrated it was actually, he had shown me this over and over in the lives of many people long before he showed me this as part of a national movement of what he was doing. Because while people will settle for things being quiet or the intensity being turned down and they're willing to tolerate infection, that's not the Lord's way. What the Lord was doing was shaking everything so it it would cause it to, to move, to run away, to whatever the case was, so it could be dealt with. And that is what the Lord was doing in the lives of many. Everyone that he showed me this vision to, or showed me this vision concerning their lives, dealing with a number of different ways and aspects that the enemy had attempted to entrap or enslave the people. Now, each individual for their own lives had the choice. They had to choose to remain with the Lord in faith with him as he continued to deal with how the enemy had entrapped them while simultaneously working or dealing with the new traps the enemy was attempting to place in their lives in a determined effort to keep them in bondage. And I'll tell you that the, the people who saw this, when they chose to remain with the Lord and not to go, oh, Lord, I just want it to be easy. It's okay. Just I'll deal with the infection. I'll deal with whatever's infected. I'll just tolerate it as opposed to letting the Lord deal with it and provide deliverance and remove what is contaminated and needs to be separated and removed, treated in their life. They had they saw victory and deliverance. And I'll tell you that this is no different for, their, for us as a nation and for whatever nation you are a part of that you are a citizen of. So the question for us is, what will we choose? And, and I say, what will we choose? Because... We always have a choice. The Lord does not force his will upon anyone. We have a choice to make as part of the covenant. We can choose to enter into covenant with him. And I know we've spoken a lot about covenant. But there's this interesting thing that happens in in Exodus chapter 33. And I'm just going to read the first six verses and then verses 13 through 17. And we'll discuss it. It says, this is, of course, for, for those that may not have a Bible with them, right after 
Moses receives the Ten Commandments after spending this time on the mountain with the Lord. Coming down, there's a golden calf that has been built and the people worshiping it and Moses becoming angry. And it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up into your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up into your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now therefore put off your ornaments from you, that I may know that I shall, what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now let's, let's discuss that for a second. After this falling away, the Lord's saying, hey, look, I covenanted the land, and I will give you a land that these people are in, and I will send my angel, and you will still have this land. But you will not have me. Now the land's the Lord's. He will always have the land. But here's a second question. What good is a land if you're a king? What good is a land without its people? God says, I am your God, and you are my people. And if we look at the structure of what that actually means, as he intended it and purposed it to be, he says, I'll be your father, and you are my children. So if we are his children, what good is having the land without having our God or our Father, our Lord, there with us? It goes even against what many in the natural would say. The family is everything. Why would we want something without our family? But it doesn't end there. Many things happen. The people had to put off from themselves their own ornaments. The things they had picked up while they were in Egypt, as far as, I'll say, manner of dress. Now, it's not about fashion, but in fashion, many times, how someone dresses denotes a spiritual aspect to it. So, the Lord is saying, hey, put these things away from you. And the people chose to put those things away from you, from themselves, excuse me. They chose to do that from that point onward. But then here in verse 13, Moses, of course, intercedes for the people. But it talks about the relationship that Moses had with the Lord. And 
Moses would speak with the Lord as a, as a man speaks with his friend, face to face. But it also talks about how there was Joshua, Moses' servant, and Joshua would not depart from the tent of meeting. He wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. That, that was everything to him. But in verse 13, it says this, while Moses is interceding. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, that is, Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. The Lord gives us the key and the answer right there. Moses keeps interceding for the people, not to receive the land. What good is a land without its people? And if the people have the land, what good is it without their God? without their heavenly father being with them. He says very plainly in there, having the Lord with us is what distinguishes us from every other nation and every other people upon the earth. The Lord distinguishes us and this nation and his people from every other nation and every other people upon the earth. So as we look at what's happening, there is a shaking going on. There is absolutely a shaking that's happening in this nation and in the whole earth to see what we will choose. And we talked about Paul and how he, he went through all these, these great things, but let's also look at how the Lord used that situation back in Acts 21. He used it to reveal what needed to be fixed. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. It was a greater testimony to the Lord. Why? Because the people came out in masses or in multitudes. Yes, to bite and devour, ultimately an attempt to kill Paul. But look how the Lord turned that whole situation around for his good and his glory. Paul is then given the opportunity to now speak to all those people and to witness to them and testify of God and of his glory and of his goodness that they now had the opportunity, not one or two here or there, but 
to the multitudes, to essentially the entirety of the city, to hear of the Lord and his goodness and have the opportunity to enter into a true, a right, a personal, deep, and intimate relationship with the Lord God. The Lord's plan wasn't just to stop there, though. If you continue to read through the book of Acts, the purpose and intent that the Lord had said to to the Apostle Paul long ago was that he, yes, would go to Jerusalem, but he would also go to Rome, that Caesar would be preached and ministered to. Caesar being the ruler, the emperor. And if we read through, or if you read through in your own time and you study this out, you'll find that Paul even witnessed and ministered to Agrippa. And historians will tell you that King Agrippa was one of Caesar's most trusted advisors and generals, that they actually went to or were in the same class together. So it is highly likely that whatever Paul, and it's documented, what Paul witnessed to Agrippa and spoke to Agrippa, giving him the opportunity to come to the Lord, that Agrippa likely shared that with Caesar himself. But that's what the Lord does. He does the Lord allows tumult to happen. He's not put off by it. He's not caught off guard by it. He brings about a shaking to reveal the things that are there or that what's there that needs to be shaken away can fall away. Paul later in the book of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 12, beginning of verse 25. He says, See to it that you do not refuse him, the Lord, that is, who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Again, we talked about the shaking. This is a person who had been through the shaking literally in every place the Lord had sent him. It was used by the Lord to help bring about a shaking. And just like in the dream or slash vision, it was so that those things that were hidden could be revealed and ultimately dealt with permanently. That they could be eliminated or removed from our lives, but also 
from the nation because it has reached to a national and I would say international movement. This is what the Lord is doing around the earth. Will we choose to come into alignment with him or to, and participate with him? Or will we refuse? Will we enter in? Will we come into alignment and enter into his plan and be immovable, faithful, steadfast, and true, just like our Lord and Savior is and has purposed for us to be? Or will we be in opposition and be one of the things or people, nations, that need to be shaken or removed. And that's a choice for each and every person, for themselves. The Lord purposed to do what he said he would do. He covenanted the land. He covenanted with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he said, hey, if you just want the land, you can have it. I, I covenanted to do it but I won't go with you. Let us make the choice for us and for our nation that the Lord goes with us and remains in our midst because his word says that he is the wall of fire and the, it'll be a city without walls. It'll be a, he will be the wall of fire in our midst is what the scripture says. He's the one that brings out peace. He's the one that is our protector, our watchman. And we have a part and a role to play. And all you who stand for righteousness and justice, that's to come in and cooperate and participate with his plan. To be immovable in Christ. So I want to leave you with that and encourage you and give you insight into what the Lord is doing. Because many are looking and asking. And I pray that each of, you know, I'll say the eyes of your heart are opened and revealed. But that your ears are also open to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you personally and to the nation. And that we love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.